So we are tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9 through 18. So last week we ended with Paul telling Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of Paul his prisoner. So today, as we start, we're going to talk about what did he mean by what is he not supposed to be ashamed of? What is the testimony of the Lord? Let's read verses 9 and 10, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. There's several things that we could talk about here. Beginning of time, when, when did time begin, all that, but uh, let's continue on. But, now, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So uh, when we look at that, really that first question, uh, I, I put that in there to talk to him about our salvation and our calling. It was not according to our works. Many times we think that God calls us because we have certain skills and abilities and certain things that we've worked on. But really, you know, the Lord sometimes uses us in spite of those things as well, right? Uh, God does bless us with traits and skills and abilities, uh, and he calls us. And it's him who calls us. It's not our works. It is his purpose. And as the Lord has a purpose for you, right? If you've ever heard me preach, you know, and I say that all the time, God has a purpose for each one of us. It's extremely, in my opinion, important that we understand that. I can tell you that nowhere in the Bible can you support that person is supposed to get saved and then sit in a pew in the church and do nothing. That's not a biblical concept. It's not supported anywhere. But God has a purpose for us. Now our purposes are different. Not everybody will teach or is gifted to teach. Not everybody will preach. Not everybody will sing. Not everybody will do you know various things. Teaching and, and some of the other things that people are called to that you notice. Those things that you notice. But sometimes People are called to be prayer warriors. People are called to be witnesses, you know, to invite people to church, to, you know, all those kinds of things, and they're all important. And there's a purpose for each and every one of us. So God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose, his grace. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Amen. When the Lord calls us, our response should be to come, right? Uh, just like he called the disciples. Uh, do you remember reading uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke? Uh, when the Lord sees those, especially those first few disciples that he calls, they're fishing. And they could have said, wait till I get done fishing. Let me get this haul of fish in. But all of them left their nets immediately, and they responded to the call of the Lord. So I think one of the things that 
we must be conscious of is that when God calls us, don't put it off. There are certain things that we may need more education to do if he, if he puts a calling upon our life, but we need to start. How do you start? Just start, right? One foot in front of the other, right? Uh, so it's important for us to, to do that, to respond to his call. Then the other thing that we see here is that it's God who calls. Uh, we Many times we talk about how that I found the Lord, and really he found us, right? Uh, he reached down through time. He wasn't lost, that's right, he found us. Uh, so he wasn't lost, and he found us, and he reached down through the corridors of time, and he found us right where we are. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God knew right where you were, uh, the things that you were going through, and he put people in your life at just the right time, uh, and he drew you to him. That's what the Lord did. Uh, is that he found us. That's an exciting thing. And not according to our works, but according to his purpose. It wasn't anything that we were necessarily great at uh, or anything that we had that was of great value, but because he had a purpose for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have skills and that we don't have abilities. We do, all of us. But the Lord calls us for his purpose. And that's what we're talking about tonight. What is the Lord's purpose? Grace. Look at the word grace. What was given to us before time began? This scripture tells us God has given us grace. And it says he gave it to us before time began. How's that possible? How's it possible for God to give us grace before time even began? Because he's God, right? We can't do anything before time began, right? But God can. And there's a scripture that tells us that before the foundation of the world, in other words, before God created anything, that Christ was slain for our salvation. Now, does that mean that that physically happened back then? What it means is that God already had that intention in his mind. That means God knows everything. He knows where we will fail, when we will fail. Uh, and so he, from outside of time, understood that man would fall and sin, Adam and Eve would sin, and, but, and he had a plan. It's important for you to understand that God's got a plan. God isn't up there when we make a mistake, going, oh, oh no, what are we going to do now? That's not how God operates, right? Uh, so uh, God knew, and he, in giving his son, and in the intention of giving his son before the world even began was in his heart. Uh, so that's the grace that he gave to us before time even began. God existed before time. And he'll remain existing when time ends. That's, that's the character and the nature of God. He is not limited to, how many, does that, does that blow your mind? If it doesn't, then you're better than I am, right? Because <laughs> uh, we, we struggle with that concept of, their, of, of 
God existed outside the realm of time. That's why he can know what we're going to do. He already sees it. He's existing outside of time, seeing the beginning all the way through to the end of our lives. And so uh, God understands what we will do, when we will do it, how we will do it, and he has a plan for our life. So that's kind of a little bit mind-blowing. So it tells us here that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to the world as a baby, before that, no one had really seen God, did not fully understand who God was, right? You had a concept of God. God showed himself through miracles and all kinds of different things and his creation, but there was no person to look at and understand what God was like until Jesus, right? So here is God saying, I know they don't understand who I am or how uh, I do things, so I'm going to send my son to the earth so that they can look at Jesus and understand what I'm like. What did Jesus say when he was here on earth? He said, if you have known me, then you have known the Father. All of these, God is revealing himself through uh, Jesus. That's why it's important for us to know Jesus, to have a personal relationship with him, uh, to live for him, uh, and to really to study our Bible, too, because if you want to know about Jesus, this is where you're going to find him, right? Uh, in your Bible. So that's important for us to do. And it tells us that the Lord abolished death. How did he do that? He died on the cross and he was resurrected. So that means he defeated or abolished death for us. So when Jesus was on the earth, he raised Lazarus from the dead, but that's different because Lazarus had to die again. He raised a a young boy, when they were, uh, the Bible tells us he raised a young boy from the coffin, literally, when they were taking him to bury him. Uh, but that young man had to die and be buried again, right? But Jesus is the only one who died and was raised again from the dead, and he's never had to die again, never will have to die. So that means that he has defeated or abolished death since he has gone to the grave and he has risen and rose on the third day that means that we also don't have to worry about dying isn't that an interesting thought Jesus said if a person knows me and then he said he referred to himself as the resurrection and the life he said if you know me then even though you die, you won't die. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? A little bit in our human thinking, right? Uh, but he's saying that because he set the example. He was the first one to die and to be resurrected. And one day, if the Lord doesn't come before then, 
all of us will die and we'll go to the grave, but then when the Lord returns, we'll be resurrected. So death will never defeat a Christian. That's why Jesus said, when you die, you don't really die, right? Uh, so that's important for us to understand. And when he defeated death, he brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. That's what that word means. It's the good news. And it's good news, and we need to share the good news, right? The good news is what we just talked about. That God sent Jesus, that he lived a totally sinless, spotless life. The world hated him, at least the religious leaders of that time. The Jewish religious leaders hated him, crucified him. And he bore our sins on that cross. In other words, he paid for our sins. We don't have to worry about our sins when we accept Christ as our Savior. Because what does the Bible say that he does with our sins? He gives them and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. He removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? It's infinity, right? Our sins, when we receive Christ as our Savior, are not remembered anymore. I'm going to go somewhere that I didn't think I was going to go, but I'm going to go there just for a few minutes. Does that mean when you commit a sin that there are no consequences for sin? But it says in forgiveness, right? But there are, the Bible tells us there are wages for our sin, right? Wages there means that there, essentially it means there are consequences. In my sinful condition, if I mistreated my body and took a bunch of drugs, our body's a temple, so that, that's a sinful act, you know, purposefully uh, taking things that we shouldn't, drugs, then when I get saved, will, will all of those consequences of me taking drugs for all my life, will they disappear? Probably not. They say they might. God can do a miracle. We're not. But many times the consequences, for instance, a sin like that, many people who are involved in drugs have money problems, bankruptcies, you know, get in trouble with the law, all those kinds of things. That scripture, when he forgives us, does not mean that the consequences don't still exist, Right? There are still consequences for our sin, but we are forgiven. The guilt is gone. When a person gets saved and they give their life to Jesus, uh, how many of you ever heard people say, I just feel so free, I feel so light, because the, the burden of that sin has been lifted from them because the Lord has forgiven them. So it's important for us to see that. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's good news that he loved you before you were his. Right? Before you even got saved, God loved you. Do you know that? And even when you make a mistake now, he still loves you. Right? Uh, that's part of the good news uh, of the gospel uh, is that God desire to reconcile sinful man to himself. 
In other words, when Adam and Eve sinned and we all became sinners because we're children of Adam and Eve, then God put into place this plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he did it because he loved us. He did it because he desired to have a relationship with us. Did you? Isn't that amazing? That, that always blows my mind. That the God of the universe who created everything, and, and, and I have a kind of a simple mind. I, I, I struggle with just how things are put together that, you know, mechanically. But the intricacies of our body and the biological things that constitute us, he did all of that and created this vast universe that the same God wants a relationship with us. And that is really good news, right? That's amazing. We do everything in our power to protect our children and to keep them from going through things and here to see that the amazingness of the gospel is that God allowed his son to go through that. But the other amazing thing is that Jesus said he was willing to do it, right? Uh, so that, that's pretty uh, amazing. So that's the good news. That's the gospel that Paul's always talking about, okay? And what we know about 2 Timothy here is that Paul's in prison. And he's not in prison because of some evil thing that he's done. He's not in prison because he's broken the law. Why is he in prison? Falsely accused. And he's in prison and willing to go there for this message of the gospel. Right? Obviously, he thinks that this message is worth it. And he thinks that this message is important. Back in 2020, whenever they were kind of, in Kentucky at least, I don't know what was happening everywhere, but we had some government pressure to not have church, or at least to do them in, in different ways. Uh, we didn't know what that was going to look like at first, right? Because we actually dismissed church for a couple of weeks. I know, I remember saying, and I was hoping it wasn't going to happen, but I remember saying, if I need, if I have to go to jail to preach this message, that's what's going to have to happen, right? Because I can't not preach it, right? Because it's a calling, just like Paul just talked about to Timothy. It's your calling, and so uh, it, it's important for us to realize that as Christians, not just as ministers. Obviously, you'd expect me to say that, but as Christians, this message is important. And we should carry the good news of the gospel with us all the time. Tell people about it all the time. Now, it doesn't mean shove it down their throat, but live it so that they would ask you about it, right? For sure. But maybe a little more than that. How about speak up about it, right? Uh, so it's, it's important for us to do this. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. So again, he's talking about this message of the gospel and this message of grace. And he says, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. So there are three things that Paul here says that he was appointed to do. Who appointed him? The Lord did, right? He was appointed to be a preacher. 
an apostle, a teacher, specifically of the Gentiles. Paul was called to those. It doesn't mean he didn't minister to Jewish people, but Gentiles are, is any nationality besides a Jew. They're all lumped together. Uh, so he is a teacher and a preacher and an apostle. Apostle just simply means he's somebody who's sent. In other words, he is to take the message places, not just to stay in one place, but to take the message to people. Uh, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So here Paul is saying, I've been appointed a preacher. And he understood, I believe, that it was a privilege to be a called to be a preacher. I've heard pastors say, I have to preach this Sunday. I try not to say that because it's really not my heart. My heart is I get to, right? I get to preach this Sunday. Uh, so it's a privilege. This, the same in turn, even with you, right? Isn't it a privilege? To be able to carry this good news with you. If you know Christ, the Bible tells us that we are priests, right? Not just talking about me as a pastor, but he's saying you are to carry this message of the gospel with you. So it's important uh, to understand that. And he's, it's a privilege to carry this message. He's not ashamed. Paul said in, in another place, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Christ, for it is the power of God unto what? Unto salvation, right? So the message that you carry with you, that gospel message about Jesus Christ and all that he did for us and how he saved us, we're not to be ashamed of that. It depends on what you believe about apostleship. There are some that think that there are no modern-day apostles that the apostles were only the 12. Seems like there's a lot of people that have appointed themselves as apostles. I still believe that the calling of apostle is for today, but I think it needs to be recognized by others. In other words, I think there ought to be other ministers and other people who recognize that calling on a person rather than me just all of a sudden saying, I'm not Pastor Brian anymore, I'm Apostle Brian. And can I tell you, in, in the Pentecostal realms, there are people who believe that there are no more apostles, and then there are people who say that there are modern-day apostles. So I'm not, I'm with all of them. I will tell you this, I believe that those original 12 apostles have a very important role, had a very important role in the starting of the church. Timothy would have looked at Paul as an apostle, and Paul even called himself an apostle. Really, the difference that you see biblically in preachers, an apostle is a preacher too, okay? But the difference that you see between a preacher and an apostle is typically that the apostle goes out to areas that have not been evangelized and they start churches, and then the real work of an apostle is to put leadership in place so that church begins to grow 
and it has all the ministries that that church needs to have. So that's kind of what you see in the Bible that's happening. So you have like Peter, he's going out and starting churches. Paul's going out and starting churches. All of the James, all James is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem where it all began. He is in a very important leadership role there as well. There seems to be a lot of people calling themselves apostles right now. That's what I'm saying. That's why I believe that there are, that that is a continuing work. Yeah, Paul was not of the original 12. Peter was of the original 12. But James was not. James was the son, of, the, son of the brother of Jesus, right? Yeah, he didn't even believe that Jesus' right. ministry was right. valid. Well, even in the Old Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit would come and empower people to do things like be prophet of God. There, there are modern-day prophets, too. So, But in the Old Testament, the prophet of God the Holy Spirit would come upon them in specific instances and they would prophesy about things to come or they would prophesy uh, about how God was going to deal with the nation or all those kinds of things. And so the Holy Spirit was already, always working, even in the Old Testament. Now we see it working a little bit differently because the Holy Spirit would set upon people temporarily for a specific work in the Old Testament. We see that. Even Saul, evil king before David, the Holy Spirit set upon him and he prophesied with the prophets. And he turned out to not be a great king and, you know, defying God. Uh, so the Holy Spirit would set upon him for that specific work. But now in the New Testament, you see the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and it's that I'm going to call it an internal knowing and, and voice of God to understand that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do something. Even in the Old Testament, we don't really think about Jesus until the New Testament, but we wrongly think that because he was in the Old Testament. Many times he's referred to as the angel of the Lord or the word in the Old Testament. So, Jesus was actually active in the creation of the world. The book of John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. And we find out later on he's talking about Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is active and doing his thing in the Old Testament as well as God and the Holy Spirit. And you see that in the first part of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So there's the Holy Spirit. So we see the Word of God, which is Jesus. We see God, and we see the Holy Spirit all in action. The, uh, the reason why we believe the Trinity is not just because of the New Testament. That they're actually, I remember seeing something on Facebook. It's a little kid saying how Jesus is represented in, in every book of the Old Testament. Let us create man in 
our image. The Holy Spirit was at work, and the Holy then, and it's still at work now, and there are specific callings on our life. I would tell you that I know someone that I would very much consider to be a prophet of God, modern day. And the reason why I say that is because I've had him come here and preach the word of God and the gifting of the prophetic was so much upon him that he would say, Pastor, when I pray for somebody, I talk to somebody, I want you to come up and I want you to listen in. And then I want you to later tell me, did I miss it? Because a prophet should test, you know, people should test what a prophet tells them. Uh, if a prophet comes to you and says, you're to go to Ethiopia and the Holy Spirit, or you've never had that inclination, and, and you know, it's like, hey, where did that come from? We need to test what the prophet says, right? right. But, for instance, this minister, you know, would, would tell people things that I knew as their pastor, but he didn't know. Because I don't, when I bring in somebody to preach, I don't tell them about everybody's problems. Because I want God to be able to minister through them and there be an authenticity of God speaking. How many believes God still speaks to you today, right? Uh, so it's important that these roles are still active in the church. Because we think about a prophet being Old Testament, we think about apostle being Old Testament, but there are these roles in the New Testament church, and we see them active. I'm not saying everybody's a prophet. This specific minister, you know, would ask me after service, this specific lady, did, did, I, did I get that? This, uh, this is what I felt like the Lord was telling me. I said, man, you read her mail. You know what I'm saying? That still happens. Paul was called to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. One of my primary giftings is being a teacher. Honestly, I would tell you that I love to teach as much, if not better, than preach. Not that I'm, you know, the only good teacher. I'm not, but I have a love for it and a passion to, if you saw my notes, you'd know I have a passion to study. Just like the last two weeks, I just jokingly sent out to a few people and said, I got 12 pages of notes. And I got to condense them down uh, to one sermon. I didn't do that because it ended up being two. But anyway, so there's the gift of teaching. Now, here Paul's saying, he's identifying himself to Timothy. He's saying, I'm a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. And because of this, I have suffered some things. Sometimes the calling on our lives will cause us to have some struggles. Anybody who's been around me very long knows that I didn't really even want to be a preacher. That's the truth. Um, I revered preachers and I loved going to church and singing and worshiping and all that, but I really didn't want to be a preacher. Some of that is because I had seen some of the struggles that they had and the life of sacrifice that was there. And I didn't really want to necessarily do that, but the same thing is true for these things that we're saying Paul is being called to, but can I tell you there's some things that we suffer and struggle and have things going on in our life simply because we name the name of Jesus. That's true. The Bible actually calls us to, a, uh, to suffer with Christ. We don't like to talk about that. 
I tell people all the time when they get saved and they first commit their life to the Lord that, you know, when you walk out of the church or wherever it is that you got saved, that it's not going to be, everything's not going to change instantaneously and your life is not going to immediately be, a, be just wonderful because there's some struggles and, and some of those struggles come for our benefit and some come because the enemy wants to deter us and wants to depress us and think, why did they even give my life to the Lord? And I'm here, I'm still struggling. But that's that's a reality is that we're called to, to suffer with the Lord. It's actually a privilege, and that's what Paul is saying. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to, to uh, suffer for the Lord. And he tells Timothy that I'm persuaded that God is able to keep what I have committed to him. Or keep we preached about this past Sunday. That means that God can guard it and protect it. Everything that we have committed to the Lord, God's going to protect us. He's going to guard it. He's going to He's going to kind of put a His stamp on it. Okay, uh, and He's going to guard us and He's going to protect us in that. And Paul is saying, I am persuaded that He's able to. Keep everything that I have committed to him until when? Until the end of time, until the day, uh, that day, right? Whenever the Lord comes back. Uh, let's skip down to verse 13 for <coughs> Hold fast the pattern of sound words. If you underline in your Bible, uh, you might want to underline that pattern. Which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus that good thing was, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So, what is this pattern that Paul's talking about? Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. Yeah, it's his teaching. He's saying, hey, hold fast to this pattern or this form of teaching I have given to you. In other words, don't abandon it for something new and something shiny and something that, uh, you know you know what I'm trying to say here? He's saying stick to what I've taught you. Yeah, don't go into something new and don't backtrack into your old way of thinking. He's saying stick to this pattern that I've taught you. Hold fast to it. It's important. Don't let anybody take it away from you. That's why this setting we're in is very important for all Christians. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you're a, a newly committed Christian, or been a Christian decades and decades and decades, it's still important for us to study the Word of God and see the pattern of teaching that's here. When you are making something, ladies, you make dresses with a pattern, right? Why? You, you need something to show you how to do it, right? That's a foundational kind of thing. Uh, so if you've got a pattern, you don't have to go back and reinvent everything. You, you can trace this pattern, and you can do it. So that's what Paul is saying here. You, you have a pattern that I've taught you, Timothy. And he's, remember, he's, it's his son, spiritual son. He's saying, follow this pattern. Things are going to go well for you as far as working for the Lord. Every, all those things that which you've heard from me, follow that particular pattern. You build something, there's a pattern. 
Paul wanted Timothy to build the church there in Ephesus. So if you have done something repeatedly, you, you don't have to go back and think about it and rehearse it because it's become a part of your mindset, right? That's, that, that, that's good. That's kind of how Paul's telling Timothy, look, you've went through all this training by me, all this teaching by me, and, and it wasn't just like by word, it was like by action, right? Paul's seeing Timothy, seeing Timothy do these things, and he is participating in them, and leading people to the Lord in prayer, and all these things that he's talking to Timothy about, uh, and it becomes a way of life for him. Don't forget that way of life, that pattern. Hold fast to the pattern that you've heard from me. Skip down to verse 14, and it says, that good thing which you committed, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit, who helps you to keep these things that you've committed to the Lord. The Holy Spirit does. That just tells us that we don't need to and shouldn't try to do this all on our own. If you try to live for the Lord all on your own power, I promise you it's not going to go well. It's the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you that helps you live for the Lord. Who better than the Holy Spirit living inside of you to teach you how to live for the Lord? He's present with you. Always with you, the Holy Spirit. And he's always teaching. How does the Holy Spirit teach you? He quickens you. What do you mean by that? Internal knowing that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because the, the, the word quickening can be used, in other words, like, ah, uh, he brought something to my attention, which is what I think you are saying. But the word quickening can also mean to empower, which they're both applicable. Urging. When you don't want to do something, but you know the Holy Spirit wants you to do it, that's a teaching of the Holy Spirit. I've had times when I really, have you, that I really didn't want to do something, but I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me to do it. Because the Holy Spirit does tell us sometimes, and I think purposely, to grow us and mature us and give us more boldness. Sometimes he tells us to do things like what Kate just referenced over here when I was in Cracker Barrel and the Lord told me, you see those people over there praying? He said, I want you to go over and tell them that God really loves them and he sees what they're doing for the Lord and he's going to bless them. And I'm like, God, they already know that. No, you go tell them that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I got it, Lord. Because the next time, if there is a next time to do that, then I'll be more apt to do it, right? Because I've seen and experienced and Maybe I'm not quite so shy to the next time. Once I started doing it, you know, sitting there eating Cracker Barrel, I love Cracker Barrel, and these people are sitting in the corner over here, and I see them pray, and they don't just pray, you know, quick prayer. They, they're, they're holding hands, each one of them is praying. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're really praying, you know. And I'm sitting there, and Oh, that's really neat. And the Lord said, yeah, go over and tell them I really love them and I, I'm, I want to bless them. And all. First thing you do is you question, was that just, was that me or was that you, Lord? It didn't help that when I told my wife I feel like I need to do that, she said, 
you go ahead and do that and I'll pay the bill. So she, she didn't want to go along with me because, you know, then I would have had at least a, you know, somebody there with me. But when I started to do it, I just kind of walked over and I said, I said, hey, I, I know this may seem strange, but the Lord kind of showed me you guys praying over here. And uh, I just want you to know that when God told me, please go be with your family. And I just began to tell him what the Lord uh, told me. And the guy stands up immediately, shakes my hand. He says, are you a pastor? I'm like, oh, yeah, I am. But, you know, I, that wasn't why I did that. He stands up and he said, we just got back from a, a deliverance conference. And he said, God is just really working in my family. And so I just was confirming to them that God really was working in their family and that God noticed and was pleased with them, right? So uh, it was, I mean, it was cool. And they came to church three or four weeks later just to, just to fellowship with us. You know, they had a church, but they, they said they just wanted to come and experience, you know, fellowship with us and have a service. And so it was really cool. So verse 15, this you know that, that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are the jealous and homogenes. I don't know if that's how you say that or not, but I said it with confidence, and so that's what we're going to say it is. So here's Paul saying, I have had the, I do have these callings on my life, but I've had some sufferings because of it, and part of that is rejection. Can I tell you that sometimes the people that you have been associated with in the past will reject you because of your stand for the Lord? We don't like to hear that. That's hard. That hurts our feelings. But sometimes that happens. And sometimes it's actually for our good because there's some people who will drag us down instead of lift us up in the Lord and mature us and grow us. Right? And that's what we see here. Paul's uh, kind of saying that these men are mentioned here as an example that they're deserters. They walked away from what God's called them to do. So let's read verse 16 through 18. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, and you may know very well, and you know very well, how many ways he ministered to me. So he gave an example of two men who deserted him. Then he said, but there's a guy named Onesiphorus. And if you say that with lots of authority, it sounds like you know how to say that name, right? He said, here's a bad example. Here's a good example. Uh, and he was so faithful to me and helped serve me when I was in prison and under chains that he actually came to Rome and he sought me out in the Roman prison. There were more than one prison in Rome, okay? And so this Onesiphorus actively sought Paul out in this dungeon prison to come and to care for him and to minister to him. Thank God that there's one, at least one, we know Timothy has done the same thing for Paul, but that the, this one guy hasn't deserted Paul. Uh, and he's asking the Lord to grant him, Onesiphorus, 
and his family that God would just bless them. Now, let's quickly go through the questions. Number one, our salvation and calling was not according to our works, but according to his purpose. Question two, you look at verse nine, what was given to us before time began? Grace. What three things was Paul appointed to? Preacher, apostle, teacher. Question four, according to verse 12, what did Paul say Jesus is able to keep? What we committed to him. Question five, according to verse 13, what was Timothy to hold fast to? This form or pattern of sound words that he heard from Paul. Question six, according to verse 15, who had turned away from Paul? All in Asia, and then I included those two men. Question seven, who did not turn away from Paul? Nesiphorus. Question eight, according to verse 17, how did Onesiphorus show his commitment to Paul? Sought him out in prison. 